Hey everyone, this is Chris. You're listening to the Dad Regime Podcast. Uh, we've had a couple of weeks break again, um, but we're hoping we're going to get back into some regular recording very shortly. Uh, today I'm presenting a different type of episode. This is a one-on-one interview uh, that I did with a friend of mine, Tim. Tim and I met playing a Star Wars video game online. Um, I never would have expected to actually make friends uh, playing video games with people in other countries, but um, as fate would have it, uh, Tim is a dad, a father of three. He has a very interesting story to tell and was really keen to talk about his battle with depression and some of his views on parenting. Uh, I was a little apprehensive about doing this uh, podcast, not because of Tim at all, but because I don't do very many one-on-one interviews. And to be honest, I'm not sure I can hold a conversation at the best of times. And also because of the distance, we recorded this over Facebook Messenger and uh, I hadn't, we hadn't done any of that sort of recording before, so I was a little bit worried about how the, how the audio and the sound would go with that. But I think you'll agree that Tim is an articulate and an intelligent man who is well worth listening to. Uh, to close the show, we've got Dora Jackson, her new single, Sinking. I just love everything that she's putting out. Uh, support her, click the links, like, subscribe, do all the things that you need to do. Uh, just love everything that she's she's working on. Awesome stuff. Uh, so without further ado, here is Tim Mustard. What's the story do you want to tell? Well, I guess... Uh... Like we'd had the conversation, I guess, over chat about, um, uh, I think about, about depression and things like that in general, yeah. um, and how uh, it's something that that I recently, like just in the last couple of years, started uh, actually just the last, I guess, a year and a half now, just started seeking uh, treatment for, um, and uh, it's something that has just has come on, something I, I've dealt with probably off and on throughout my life, just a little bit here, a little bit there, but nothing I ever felt the need to really seek outside help for. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was really starting to just deal with some situations and feelings that I just had never experienced, at least not to the extent that I was, when it came to uh, being at home, being with the kids all the time, um, and all of the things that come with that. And... At the same time I started feeling about that, I started uh, just, there was, it seems like it was like a, a, almost like one of those universal consciousness moments where I started finding or seeing all these articles coming up, and people were talking about this all at the same time, about um, stay-at-home mom depression. Yeah. Something that they were, everyone started to talk about, there were new studies about it, there were a bunch of different articles by a bunch of different publications here in the U.S., and even uh, showed up on an episode of the Today Show. Right. Um, so I was like, this is interesting, but also kind of like, I don't know if it should just be moms, but it's also like, it's not about male, female, anything. It's about the situation that we're in as stay-at-home parents and the isolation that that causes and how that's both, you know, it's good for the kids. It's also really hard for the adults, and it's hard in ways that people don't really talk about. No, you know, it's, it's, a bit, uh, it's a bit taboo, especially for the, the stay-at-home dad because – it's not a, it's not as common, obviously, a stay-at-home mom. Right, but, yeah. and this just proves that people. It's it's. I don't know if it's just a cultural thing, right? But it's like um, it's like when you first have kids, right? Like everybody tells you, oh, kids are the, they're the greatest thing. I would the best thing I ever did in my life is have kids. You know, they're awesome. They're a pleasure. They're a joy. They're fantastic. Nobody really goes into detail about how absolutely miserable the first year and a half is going to be. <laughs> Right. Yeah. How little sleep you're gonna get? How much? How much? You know? How, how you're gonna have to get poop out of places you never even imagined it could go? Yeah. You know all the different you know smells and and wonderful disgusting sensations that you're gonna have to yeah. just numb yourself off to in the process of having kids. No one talks about that. You know? No. It's just like it is. It's just uh, okay. And then, so it's almost like a ha ha gotcha moment when, when you finally have kids and you realize, oh crap, what did I get into? Yeah, and it's as if everyone's been uh, like just standing back, waiting for you to have all those those things happen, so that they can then go, "Yes, it's happened to him too." Exactly, it's like misery loves company. Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. same. 
that, that kind of idea. But it, and that was like it was such a uh, uh, it was so funny to me that like that no one talked about it. That I I kind of became a running joke with me and my friends, and I just started overly talking about it and telling everybody about it. But like, at the same time, I love my kids. You know, and yeah, I don't yeah, wish anything but the best for them. And I, I'm here for them 100% all the time. Like, that, that's my entire purpose in my life. But uh, at the same time, they're, they can be massive pains in the ass. And they're magnificent assholes sometimes. You know, it's the, the uh, somebody much smarter than me, I think, once upon a time said, uh, all kids are, uh, are sociopaths and narcissists. You have to teach empathy. You have to train them to be yeah. to think about someone yeah. other than themselves. Yeah, and while we're doing yeah, it, we have, to love natural them. Instinct. we have to love them unconditionally, <laughs> no matter how much of an yeah. asshole they happen to be on that journey. Exactly. Yeah. Even though they're just a little, they're just horrible, horrible people. We still have to, you know, do everything for them and take care of them and and, and love them and just you know, and pray and hope to you know whatever that you're not screwing them up for life yeah. and that somehow it's just magically going to work out. They're not going to be psychopaths. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny, but it's yeah. just, it's one of those things that no one talks about. Yeah. And just those kind of things like, like are just frustrating to me. It's like, I, cause I, 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 if I run into a problem with something, I want to figure it out. You know, um, it's like, uh, it's just, it's been a running theme for myself in my life. Like I, I dealt with uh, ADD when I was a kid, but I, I didn't realize. I actually, my mom didn't tell me that I was ADD until I was about 21, 22. I was home from college, and uh, I just remember we were changing a bed sheet, and she uh, she just goes off, and, and I was telling her about these frustrations I have, about not being able to remember, like the reason why I walked into a room, not remembering why couldn't I, you know, tell where this was or that was, and why is my my brain just doesn't feel wired right? I don't know what's going on. I'm so frustrated all the time. And she looks at me and goes, well, you know you're ADD, right? <laughs> and I said, no, Mom. When did you find out that piece of information? Like, when did you know that? Uh, and she was like, oh, well, you remember that test, that doctor we took you to when you were like 12? <laughs> it's like, vaguely, I didn't know what that was for. What? Do you, uh, what? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we found out then you had your ADD, but we decided to just not to let you sort it out, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> just like... I didn't even, like at that point. I then realized that I developed all these coping mechanisms for myself just out of habit mm. to deal with the fact that I was ADD. Mm. Like I would always, I'd have this almost OCD uh, checklist that I'd do. Like I wasn't OCD. I didn't feel like a, a compulsion to do those things, but I, I felt a necessity to like always do things the same way. Things always had to go back in the same place. Yeah. Because that way I wouldn't have to remember where it was. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I develop all these like kind of crutches or or, or steps. So it's like once I understand uh, why something is happening, then I'm able to process it and kind of try to work through it. You know, and it's like that. Uh, uh, it's like you know, it's like that uh, episode of a uh, Lost or whatever when Locke is in a wheelchair trying to go in the outback. <laughs> Someone's like, "Don't tell me what I can't do." You know, it's, it's, I just want to know. Uh, you know, I, I give me the information and then I'll sort it out. You know, but when no one talks about a thing, no one mentions how difficult something is, and you're just kind of stuck to trying to figure things out for yourself. Yeah, exactly. It makes it that much harder. You know, and the fact that someone's one of the, the premises, talking yeah. about a lot of, yeah. Do, I'm sorry. No, no, go, 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 finish. Oh no, I was just saying the fact that no people don't talk about a lot of these things that are some of the most difficult aspects. I feel of you know parenting. And just, you know, the life of, of I guess, someone in, in a similar situation to what I'm in now. And it's just, it's very hard to find any kind of specific details or any other, you know, sense of community or sense of the fact that other people have gone through this. But at the same time, there have been moms throughout history <laughs> who stayed home. Yeah, you know, I know that I'm not the first person to be feeling the things that I'm feeling. Yeah. But it's something that no one has ever talked about, you know? And that's why it's like been frustrating because it's like it's like an unspoken, undiscussed uh, truth of existence and yeah. life with, with kids. It's just, and it's it was relieving and, and refreshing to me when um, I did start seeing those articles and started realizing that oh, it's you know there are officially other people out there who are dealing with 
some of the same documented, feelings. And, documented cases. Exactly, yes. Documentation proof. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then on top of that, it's like the the stigma that so many of our so much that our cultures have had with uh, mental health and how it's not something to be discussed and not something people talk about and how that's finally starting to be something that is okay you know it's okay to realize that you know something's not operating the way it should something's not working you know the way that it's meant to and yeah you need help it's, it's not a bad thing to ask for help yeah you know I'm just gonna put you on pause for a second I just gotta yeah. answer a question of course Sorry, Matt, we've, we've put some uh, noise protocols <laughs> in the house while we're doing the podcast. <laughs> the little handle on the, the office door is slightly opening. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, when for you then, I mean, you've gone through this journey, you found out ADD as an adult did that start to tick boxes for you when then sort of self-reflecting with depression? Like when did you start being aware that that well, might be the, something that's... Well, the depression thing was, was I really do feel like, like there have been moments in my life where I felt low or, you know, moderately depressed, but that's like high school, you know, puberty, you know, things that I think everybody kind of goes through in one way or another. Yeah. But I've never felt this kind of looming, um, overpowering sense of... of uh, of entrapment, of not feel, of feeling, you know, stuck. Yeah. Of the, it's like, and, and the things that that have gotten to me, it's like, it's the the repetitiveness of it. It's the fact that like my boys, who are almost three now, um, are still just now starting to speak in, you know, two word phrases. Yeah. So the lack of the ability to communicate with somebody and who I'm. And the, and the frustrations with, you know, the kids who are now becoming, they're trying to be independent, they're trying to do their own things, and they're becoming petulant and what have you, but it's just, it's that sensation that I'm just, I'm keep running into, a, you know, uh, it's like, it's like the, uh, I guess the Far Side cartoon, where I'm, I'm the kid on the outside of a pole door pushing as hard as I can. Yeah. That sense of no matter what you do, just it's, you're just still going to be in the same place. Yeah. It doesn't feel like, it's like on the day to day, on the on the micro level, you can't see, you know, just how how much this has gone on, how how uh, how your work is working, how it's actually you know being effective, and what have you. But when you step back, if you have the time and the ability to step back, yeah, you can see how how far you've come. Is that you know all those old I'm mixing metaphors and analogies here? I'm sorry, yeah. but um, it's that idea that. Um, yeah, you, the the monotony of the day to day, uh, the isolation, yeah, um, the fact that like, you know, my my wife is the only adult who I really talk to on a even semi regular basis, and she gets up at you know four in the morning to get get ready for work to leave you know, by six. When I wake up, I, I maybe see her in the morning for a half second. She brings me a cup of coffee. She goes to work for the day. I go to work, you know, with the kids and everything. And then I get dinner ready. She comes home. I see her from like six to eight thirty. We get the kids down finally. Eight thirty to nine, we get to kind of hang out for thirty minutes, and then she passes out at nine o'clock on the dot because she's exhausted. She just falls asleep on the couch half the time, and we're trying to watch a show together or just hang out. <laughs> so it's like. 30 minutes of adult conversation, you know, in, in a day. It's just that, yeah, and then, like, a lot, and I understand now why, uh, my wife always says this, too, but I understand now why so many people, like, move close to their parents and then and live in the same areas that they grew up because that support structure is, I can't even imagine it. Mm. And I think everything also for us, for our family, it's been kind of compressed just because, I mean, we moved to Atlanta, uh, God, I guess almost, yeah, five years ago now. 
Yeah, it was five years ago, last October. So we moved to Atlanta five years ago. After one year, we had our first kid. A year and a half after that, when our our first was 18 months, we had the twins. And so, like, suddenly, yeah, what, two and a half years after we get to a brand new town where we don't know anybody, we suddenly have three kids, and we're like, you know, we're just trying to roll with the punches, but at the same time, we're it's that sense of isolation. Not only are we in a new place where we don't know anybody, but also don't have a support structure or anything in place, and so it's just us. Yeah. And then the few people who you do meet, you know, you meet while you're with the kids and such, and then, but you don't really have time to, you know, uh, go and you know grab a beer or, or yeah, catch yeah, a cup of coffee yeah, or watch a sport a game or, or do anything with those kids because yeah, you're so busy with these three yeah. kids. Yeah. Well, what was the move to Atlanta for? Because you were from New York City? Well, we were living in New York City before that. Yeah, we were in New York City for 11 years. Um, I worked in uh, fancy restaurants, fancy dining. I yeah, was, um, I, want to talk, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, i got to be honest. That, uh, that was probably the best preparation I ever could have had for fatherhood, yeah. to be honest. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're not just talking about uh, high-end restaurants. We're talking about, like, top 50 in the world. Restaurants, right? Yeah, yeah, WD50. It yeah. was a uh, Wiley Dufresne's flagship restaurant. It was a, a culinary um, destination. It was yeah. a place where like chefs wanted to come into our restaurant more than any other restaurant. Yeah. Um, it was, and yeah, we dealt with like lots of other foodies and lots of other people. And we always tried to make sure best was offered, but at the same time, like it was a spot where chefs and other big wigs from other places because we are always they're always experimenting and playing and trying out new techniques and trying to explore the boundaries of you know food what it is what that means all that kind of stuff how it can feed both your 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 body of course but also your soul in a, an experiential way if that makes any sense mm. it was it was really fun to be a part of that while I was there um, and I was there for about seven years I think yeah right but um, yeah, I started off like busting tables, and in two years after I started, I was managing the place. Right. Wow. With a, a good friend, which is because more out of necessity, <laughs> why they got himself into a spot, and I'd always been the guy who said yes, <laughs> whatever he needed me done, needed me to do, and so I said yes. And, yeah, right. and so you were, you you were saying how that was the best preparation for parenthood. So how what were the connections? But yeah, yeah, um, managing and dealing with um, uh, the the functionality of a restaurant and uh, especially a fine dining restaurant where you have to anticipate everything. Mm. That's the like the fine points of hospitality are, are the fact that you need to be prepared for you know not only the best case scenarios but also the worst case scenarios. And you also have to have contingencies in place for everything to cover your ass no matter what. Yeah. And to be able to respond to any issues that may arise, you know, as fast as possible. Yeah. So, uh, like, I had, you know, so in, like, a restaurant, you have service stations strategically placed throughout the restaurant so that you can get to, you know, silverware, napkins, water pitchers, you know, any of the necessities that you absolutely need. Uh, within you know a very short period of time, as far as turning over tables, as far as getting a guest a new piece of whatever they might have dropped on the floor, as far as you know anything they may need right away. And so I, when I started having kids, uh, when I had the twins, especially, I was juggling three. I was like, okay, so I started setting up my house like a restaurant. <laughs> so I had like hidden service stations throughout the house. I had like little diaper changing stations like on each floor. I had little areas in there that I could always just like grab what I needed right away. There were wipes strategically uh, placed and hidden, so like they weren't obvious. So if we had guests over or people around, they'd be like, you know, they weren't. Uh, it looked like a you know really clean, nice, regular house. But uh, when uh, if if you look closely, then there's little places that are just kind of hidden, just just out of line of sight. <laughs> but it meant also that um, I was always able to. Like I think that's, I'm part of the problem with my kids, not my boys, not speaking as much as. I guess other kids have like Amelia. Amelia was speaking at about 18 months, right? Uh, at least more so than the boys are even now. And the boys are going to be three at the end of August. Um, and I think part of that is because they're twins and because they have their own little way to communicate between each other. Yeah. But I think also like I've always tried to anticipate whatever it is they need, and that so, also comes from uh, working in restaurants. So they're not. And so they're. 
yeah, so they're super happy kids, but they also they didn't feel motivated or didn't feel the need to communicate with me because mm. they felt like I was already understanding what they were needing. So, uh, yeah, it just they weren't motivated, I guess, in that sense. Um, you have to frustrate kids to get them to do anything, right? <laughs> get them to learn something. But then this is the cycle that we do to ourselves, though, isn't it? That we we look at our kids and think that we must be responsible for that for that behavior. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and then you look at someone else's kid and you go, "Oh no, oh no, that's it's fine. It's fine. they're fine." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I maybe sometimes that's a bad thing from on my end. Sometimes I'll look at other people's kids and go, "Why did you let him do that?" <laughs> yeah. well, what'd you do to that kid to let him think that that's okay? Yeah. It's like, as, as a teacher, sometimes I have parent-teacher interviews, and I start yeah. with asking them, "So, what did you do?" Because it looks like it's, it's look, it looks like it's working for you, uh, <laughs> rather than talking about anything about school or what they're doing at school. So, what, what did you, what did you do as a parent? <laughs> That's nice. Turn it around on them and let them yeah. talk a little bit. Yeah. Usually <laughs> makes them feel good too. Oh yeah, totally. But puffs up their ego. <laughs> Make them feel good. <laughs> no, no, it'll definitely take the wind out of their sails if they have any negative comments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> smart, very smart. Yeah. So you had a you had a very busy, fulfilling career in New York. So then, what yeah. was it that took you to Atlanta? Well, it was my wife's job. Right. And uh, the funny thing was, it was about it was less than six months after we got married. So uh, you know, we got married in June, and uh, in October of that year, um, she found out that the, a, a job that she, she'd um, tentatively been exploring moving outside of New York uh, just because eventually her plan, you know, all women have a plan, they, what they want when they want it and how they want it to be. Um, according to her plan, she was like, and I, I agreed with her on this as well, New York, while I loved it, for the time that I lived there, um, I didn't think that it was a place that I really wanted to raise children, because mm. um, it's it's really hard, mm. and you have to you'd have to grow up really fast. And myself, I I, I was a military brat, so I bounced around a lot. So I kind of felt like I had kind of a uh, slightly abnormal childhood, mm-hmm. and I felt that at the time I was having the childhood too. So I kind of felt like I was on the outside always, and I didn't want my kids to have that kind of sensation or that kind of feeling. I didn't want to have to grow up too fast from being in a kind of a tough environment like New York um, where there's just so much life happening all the time everywhere around you that, uh, you know, it's not unusual to see, you know, things that most of us think would want to protect our kids from (laughs) and see those things on a pretty regular basis. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, those things you can't really protect from in in place like New York, there's just so much humanity piled on top of each other, you know? Yeah. There's that many millions of people all living in a three mile radius. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, and while I, I loved it for my experience there, it made me grow up quite a bit and made me into the person I am now. And, um, I love all the, the skills and the tools that it, it gave me just from the experience of being there. Um, I didn't want to raise my kids in that environment. Um, and so, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. I realize, um, no, no, no. but Mindy, she'd been exploring other, other places outside of New York and she was working in television. So the only places that she really had an option to go to were LA, uh, stay in New York and live somewhere in the suburb suburbs or, uh, uh, move to Atlanta. Yep. And so she was testing out, sending like resumes and in applications and uh, just seeing what was there and seeing if there were any options. And a job opened up in Atlanta that looked exactly like what she wanted to do. Um, and everything seemed to be lining up. And uh, damn, so we just we called it and I said, you know, I got your back. Whatever you need to do, whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. Yeah. And so we uh, jumped out of New York, came to Atlanta. And just, then like, every, kind of hit the ground running. Within two years, <laughs> three kids under two. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, I imagine culturally, 
there's quite a significant difference between New York and Atlanta too. Oh, massive. Um, that was the hardest thing for me to adapt to, to be honest. Yeah. Like even more than, you know, like the altitude strikingly was the one thing that I didn't anticipate the most. Right. Um, and the fact that Atlanta is completely hilly everywhere you go, there's like 45 degree hills all over the place. It's nuts. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the people and the culture of Atlanta, and I guess I, I should have not been as surprised about this as I was because I did spend a few years living in like an area close to here, North Carolina, when I was a kid. Yeah. But um, the the roundabout way of speaking about things um, is the the thing that was the most frustrating for me. Have you got an example? Because of the time that I spent in New York and the time that I spent working in kitchens specifically, um, you know, when you're working on a clock and everything is like, now, 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 you need to be as clear and direct and concise as possible. Get the information out, say exactly what you need to say as quickly as you can say it so that it can be addressed and so you can get the thing done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's New York. It's like, it's, like everyone always uh, gave New York the reputation of being rude. It's like they're not rude; they're just concise, direct. Get them out of their way. I'm busy. Yeah. You know, they're they're doing something. They're all busy. They're all going someplace. They're all late. You know. And so they got to yeah. It's that 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 kind of mindset that I had to kind of whoa okay. Anybody who I spoke to directly, like I, I managed a restaurant when I first moved here. Anybody who I was direct with, in the way that I had done in New York. Um, I made them cry half the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I, I, I'm not attacking you. This is not a personal attack. I'm telling you what you did wrong so that you know what you did wrong. And you, you can acknowledge it, and you can fix it, and so that doesn't happen again. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not being mean. I promise. Like, everybody was so sensitive. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, and also the fact that like the, uh, uh, the passive aggressivity was the... Uh, the the biggest like whoa like uh like the worst uh that was it was a joke but but I that I heard from other people but it, one of the worst things someone can say to you uh, in Atlanta as a uh, as a put down is uh, oh bless your heart <laughs> oh bless your heart it's, it's such a kind of it's such a condescension yeah, it's like it's just patronizing yeah. dripping with patronization yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> It's just like, oh, and that's like, yeah, the, 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 everything here is passive aggressive. Everything here is roundabout ways of talking. Yeah. Um, do you, do you know Ursula K. Le Guin? Uh, yeah. The, the, the author, the author of, uh, yeah. she wrote, yeah. um, um, and she wrote the, Wizard uh, of Earthy, yeah. bunch of sci-fi books. Yeah. One of my favorite sci-fi books is The Left Hand of Darkness. Have you ever read that? No, I haven't. It's brilliant. Um, it's one of my favorite sci-fi books, but it's it's almost it's almost philosophical. It's almost more of a sci-fi philosophy book than it is about than it is a like sci-fi you know adventure story. Like it is a sci-fi kind of you know novel, but it's the core center of it is a, this guy who's sent from this overall corporation that rules a galaxy for the most part, is sent to a new planet who's applying for membership. And he goes there to see if they're ready to join. And the world where there's basically two cultures, and the whole the whole thing about it is that they talk. They, both cultures communicate in two very different ways. One communicates by being very direct, and the other one communicates by talking about everything else except for what they're talking about. They basically talk in circles. <laughs> it's just like, I felt like that. Yeah, when I went from New York to Atlanta, that's exactly what I felt like. <laughs> I jumped from one culture to another culture. I was like, I can't speak about what I'm actually talking about. I have to talk about everything else except for what I'm talking about, and I hope that they get the gist. It's, it's that's the yeah, but it's a, it's a brilliant book. Check it out if you have a chance. Yeah, but, I've uh, written it down. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. But um, but uh, yeah, uh, that's what the cultural shift felt like when I moved to Atlanta. It's just I it's like I had to learn a new language. And I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm my impression of Atlanta being south is that a lot of the social interaction would be through churches. Um, the vast majority, yes. Yeah. Um, you, you'd be surprised nowadays. Um, 
the the city of Atlanta proper is actually uh, like a little. It's like I don't know. I, I don't want to again sound condescending to Atlanta. It's it's a little bustling micro city, and so it's actually really diverse. There's a lot of stuff going on, lots of different cultures, lots of really cool aspects of it, um, and lots of different. Very like anytime you have uh, a dense um, multicultural area, um, I find there's a lot more of uh, uh, the people try to find commonality, even if there's not you know obvious commonality. So people tend to be less uh, critical of other cultures. Yeah. Um, basically, it tends to be almost more of a liberal kind of place, much more open-minded, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. the further out you get from there, the more closed-minded people become, the more set in their their ways they become. So, like when we moved out to the suburbs for more space when we had kids, we had the boys specifically. Um, I'm now surrounded by you know, churches and Republicans, <laughs> and it's just like, it, yeah, I, I could not be more different in my own. Philosophies and in my own uh, <laughs> political leanings than probably 80-90% of the people who live around me right yeah. now. So that's another isolating factor, I guess, yeah. when it comes to the uh, <laughs> stay-at-home parenting <laughs> issue. So what what things are you are you trying to do? Um, well, so my main thing is, is right now I'm trying to just stay busy. That's for me. That's a um, a big aspect of, for my own self and for, and for also for the kids. Yeah. Because um, I find that that stagnation just kind of breeds stagnation. Like they end up being more lethargic, end up being more kind of and mopey and whiny, and their mood starts to deteriorate the longer that like we stay in the house. So I try to always get them out of the house. Let's get moving. Let's walk. Let's you know, let's take a walk. Let's go to a park. Let's go to uh, you know some other place. I, I've you know, just to get them going, get them moving, get them around other people. Um, they're all very social, which I got really lucky. Only only one I'm a little worried is still holding on tight to that sociopath uh, tendency. But um, other than that, they, yeah, the other two are, are just awesome. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just try to basically just keep moving. It's that, um, especially for like the 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 emotional weight of things that I've been feeling and I find that it's worse when I kind of sit with it. Yeah. Like when I sit alone with my own thoughts is when the thoughts go in, in uh uncomfortable ways. Uncomfortable yeah. directions. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um and so it's uh it's just good all around to just keep moving. <laughs> keep going. Um even if, that, even if that is in ho at home, like if we're stuck because of weather or anything like that, it's just okay. What are we doing now? What are we doing now? What are we doing now? Trying to find, you know, a way to keep everybody involved and and doing something. And you know, the other you know, reading books, playing blocks, making pictures with the kids, doing all kinds of stuff just to, you know, keep them engaged. Yeah. Um, but again, that that like everything. From the moment the kids are awake until the moment they go to sleep, it's all about them, right? Mm. So it's like, yeah, that's that's another part of it too. It's like you're putting so much time and energy into not just keeping you know these kids you know <clears throat> alive, but also you know happy, stimulated, yeah. um, you know all these other you know active, yeah. all these other things that we're, that we're told we have to do. Uh, you know, ultimatums that we've gotten from pediatricians and you know and everybody else. Oh, you have to do this. Oh, you have to do that. Oh, you. Oh, they're, they're, oh. Uh, yeah. they're not saying this. Yet. Oh, they're behind them. This, 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 this. Oh, you got to motivate. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. <laughs> it's like, and, and so you just you feel all this pressure from all these outside sources and from everything else to to perform to a certain level and get your kids to a certain level and do all this stuff. But then, uh, you know, you, you spend so much of your time and motivation and energy on your kids to the point where you don't really spend any time or you don't, by the time you do have time for yourself, you don't have any energy. Yeah. Energy left for yourself. Pardon me. Yeah. Nodding, and, uh, nodding off on the couch at uh, seven. Yeah. At night. <laughs> yeah. 
And then my wife would, would fall asleep on the couch at like 9 o'clock, 30 minutes after, you know, we got the kids down. And then once she was asleep, then I'd get up and go and, you know, do the laundry and clean up the kitchen from dinner and, you know, come downstairs and put the playroom back together, put the cushions back on the couch from the forts the kids were making and clean up all the boxes of blocks and diapers left randomly about the floor. Just, you know, the just... You know, the t- general detrius of a day with kids. Yeah. Put it all back, you know, in a semi-orderly fashion so they can come back downstairs again tomorrow and destroy it all again. <laughs> it's, it's, again, it's like that, that uh, yeah, like live, die, repeat. Isn't that a, yeah. a Tom Cruise movie? <laughs> it's, like, it's like that loop that you feel, like, stuck in. And not only are you stuck in, but also you're stuck in it by yourself. And, you know, you're not getting out of it for at least 15 to 16 years. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Your oldest is ready for um, pre-K. We yeah, call, she's starting we pre-K. We call it in, in, in Australia. Yeah, uh, she's doing pre-K, which is like basically preschool. Yeah. Um, pre-kindergarten. Um, so uh, that starts next week. She's going to be going five days a week. Uh, 7.30 in the morning until 2 p.m. Yeah. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Both, I think, for her to socially be around other people that much because she, she's a social butterfly. She loves other people like it's her job. Yeah, right. She's, she's never met a stranger, and that's both, like, you know, thrilling for me and terrifying for me at the same time in equal measure because um, everybody's her friend. <laughs> And yeah, I don't, I don't want to, you know, burst that illusion just yet. But uh, it's a beautiful way to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing is, I, I, I just noticed this last weekend. We went to uh, this last week, a couple of days ago. We went to a friend's um, pool in their neighborhood. They invited us over for like a pool lunch play date thing. Um, so we went over there, and like these other girls who are like in her age and like a couple, a little bit older, were already being like little mean girls. Little jerks, and like they, like she was wanting to play with them, and they're like, "Oh no, no we're, we don't play with you. We're gonna do our own thing." And they just like were totally rude to her, but then she just brushes it off like it's nothing, and gets all like, next thing you know, she has like four boys around her, not my boys, like four of the other little boys around her, and there she's directing them and telling them what to do, <laughs> and they're playing this game where she's like their boss. <laughs> she's like, she's like, okay, whatever, I'm gonna play my own game. You guys, come here. And she's like. Whatever, I'm gonna have fun, and somebody's gonna like me because I'm awesome. It's just like this sense of confidence that she has. She's like, whatever, dude. <laughs> you being rude? You are rude. Peace. But that, like, that'll take a bit of the burden off of you, then. Yeah, exactly. It makes me feel a little less, like a little less worried when I saw her do that. I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't care. Yeah, like, great. That's awesome. Like somebody's gonna want to play. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <clears throat> It's just I love that. Um, but yeah, and then but and I, and again, I, I I know most of this is in my head. And I know most of this is just short term. It's just nothing feels short term when you're in the moment, you know. Yeah. And so that's the hardest thing about it. Um, but I and I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but um, we we moved to the suburbs when we found out we were having the, the boys, the twins, because we, we were living in a little two bedroom you know, duplex in Atlanta proper, you know, when we had Amelia. And then we found out we were having two more kids, and we're like, oh, we got to get more space. So we actually bought a house in the suburbs, moved out here. And it just so happened, the house that we moved into, our neighbor directly across the street, um, they had three kids as well. They had an older daughter who was 18 months old when they found out they were having twins. And now their uh, older daughter is 12, and they're younger twins are 10. And so when I first met the guy, I was like, please, any tips you have, let me know. <laughs> and he told me three things. He said, uh, first off, take lots of pictures because you're not going to remember a damn thing. <laughs> he said, In his own words, he said, uh, I know that if you put two kids in front of me right now and told me I had to change their diapers, I'm pretty positive I could do it. And he goes, but I have no memory of doing so. I don't remember a single diaper change. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. He goes, secondly, forgive your wife for everything. 
<laughs> you guys are going to be so exhausted and so worn out, you're going to have the stupidest fights over things you never thought you'd fight about. And just forgive, always just forgive and apologize. Forgive and apologize for everything. Because <laughs> nothing is going to test you guys worse than these kids are. Because in third, you know, just hang on for your dear life. And in five years, because <laughs> in five years, you're going to be a pretty cool hang. <laughs> Those are his words. All right, that's, that's, All right. that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay. Uh, yeah. If, but, I, um, if only it was that simple. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, if only. But it, that's just it, too. It's like, like it, it, nothing feels that simple again when you're in the moment and the chaos of it. But if you have the time or have the ability to step out of it, at some point, it kind of is that simple. It's yeah. just like, just like what was the? Uh, I, can't, I just heard this quote again this weekend. Um, I can't remember. I'm gonna butcher the hell out of it. Um, something about uh, um, a dad wondering what more he could have done, what what more he could have done this and that, and all these other things he could have done differently or better, and the the Exactly says no. You did the most you could ever do. You were there, yeah. just by being there, by giving a crap. That was, you know, that was all that you know. It's like it's reassuring, but it's also it's kind of I don't know. I feel like it's, it's kind of empty. Yeah. At the same time, I'm, there's something to it. Um, that I just don't quite trust. I don't, but it's, I don't know. It's a nice sentiment, I guess. It's one yeah. of those things. It's scary you know, to think about that. Scary yeah. thing about um, Sam Harris, um, when he talks about parenting, he talks about that really our job is to keep them alive till they're 18. Right. Because he's not sure that anything we do really matters anyway. <laughs> so they are who they are. They're going to be who they're going to be. And yeah, just, just hang on and get them to get them to adulthood and then let them go. Well, that's just, that's it. Um, I mean, I partially agree with that. Um, and Honestly, the the twins are kind of the perfect test case. Like it's it's crazy how just diametrically opposite they are. Mm. They're just completely uh, different in every way. Like personality wise, uh, critical thinking wise, um, like things that they're drawn to and interested in, and they've literally had the exact same stimulus, the exact same food, the exact same attention. The exact same sleeping patterns and schedule and everything for the last you know almost three years now and they could not be more different in the way they solve problems and the way that they they learn and the things that they're drawn to uh, one is more mechanical the one the other one is more cerebral uh, one of the boys can read even though he doesn't talk to me yet it's crazy he can look at, at, at a you know, picture and sound out the letters and make him tell what the word is yeah it's nuts to me. He's two, almost three years old. It, it blows my mind because he's just fascinated by letters and numbers and puzzles. Yeah. And he's just like, he wants to figure it all out. He just wants to go over it again and again and again and again. Like he saw a sign when he like, he was like maybe just turned two. He saw a sign at a store and, just, and it said, you know, uh, will help wanted apply within. And he looks at it and goes, Apple. And I look, there's no picture of an apple anywhere, but he's like, oh, Apple, Apple. apple. He's pointing to the word apply. Yeah, wow. This is decoding. A P P L Y. I'm like one letter off. That's close. <laughs> that's no, really good. That's really good. It's applied, but A P P L E is apple. He goes, ah, oh, apple. It's like he's like he's processing the information. And like that was like a year ago, and now he like he can. We went to a pub the other day for a lunch. I think it was might have been a couple months ago for Father's Day or something. And he was antsy. He's the one who can't sit still. So I got up with him when I was walking around the pub, and he looked up at us at the wall at one point and just goes, "Blue moon." And I looked over at the wall, and there was a sign for the beer. There was no picture of a blue moon. There was nothing else. There was just the words "blue moon." And he just looks up and goes, "Oh, blue moon!" I'm like, "Holy crap!" It's just, and it, it's so funny. But at the same time, that guy still couldn't figure out two days ago how to peel a banana <laughs> you know what i mean yes you can decode language <laughs> yeah he, he, that because that's fascinating to him 
Well, his brother, like, he's learned all letters and numbers and stuff mostly because he doesn't want to get left behind. But also, he he's fascinated by you know the mechanics of things. He he tears everything apart because he wants to figure out how to make it work. Mm. He's the one who's over in the inside, you know, flipping light switches back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> it's it's crazy. He wants to understand what makes things tick and why it works and what happens with this, that, and the other. Um, he was the one. Uh, Charlie, the 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 letter reading kid. He was the one who uh, when he was first trying to figure out how to stand up, like when they were like one year old. He was working on it for like two days straight. He went over to this like these bars that are on this uh, little play area that he had, and he'd pull up on them, and he'd, and he'd fall back down. Pull up on them, fall back down. He'd do it like every couple hours. He'd try again. And James, the other boy, the entire time would just like sit back, be playing, do other things. And every time Charlie went to try, James would look over and watch him. Yeah. And I'd watch James watching him, watch the whole thing. And after two days, Charlie finally figured out that if he locks his knees, he stands up and he's okay. Right? Took him two days and he finally figured it out. He threw himself at it over and over and over, tenacity, right? Again and again and again and again. James is just sitting back watching the entire time. After Charlie locks his knees, stands up, James goes, Oh, crawls over to the bars, pulls himself up, locks his knees, goes like this. <laughs> first time. On the first attempt, because he watched how Charlie did it. Yep. It's yeah. crazy things. Like it's just the way their brains work. They could not be more different. It's really funny. Mm. It's fascinating. Mm. But you know, like, that's just it, though. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's nature. It's not nurture, in so many ways. And then it makes makes you wonder why we beat ourselves up so much about the yeah, things we do as parents. At, well, but at the same time, it's like I think the 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 worst thing you can do to your kids is ignore them. Mm. Because um, that's one thing that I've run into with parents here is that, um, like, when I go to the park, when I go to uh, anywhere where there are other kids around and stuff, it's like my kids, even if I'm not in their immediate vicinity, they know that I'm watching, you know? Because, um, like, like, I'll see them fall down and across the uh, – they have a running joke with the boys. And I started this with Amelia as well when we were, she was really little. So I started – but um, uh, whenever they fall down, like, totally, like, take a really bad digger and just like bite it um we always yell safe yeah. like they're sliding into the plate on a baseball ring um i'm gonna show the analogy's probably lost but um <laughs> yeah like when, in baseball when they run around the plates they're trying to you know get to the next base they they would oftentimes slide head first yep and try to tag the tag the the base before the ball gets there and if there's if they get there before the ball gets there, the ump goes makes a big yell and then strikes you know strikes their arms both out to the side and yells safe. It's a big you know dramatic thing whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, I started doing that with kids when every time they took a really bad fall, <laughs> and just let them know that like you know it's okay I fell down. It's not important that you fall down. It's important that you get back up. So yeah. let's get up. Let's see how bad it is. Let's dust you off. Okay, put a bandaid on it. You know whatever and keep moving. Um, to kind of take away the stigma of you know, of uh, you know, I don't know, not making them afraid of falling, essentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, remove but, a bit uh, of the embarrassment sometimes. That's the biggest thing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But um, to, to the point, so they know that I'm watching because anytime like if they would be on the other side of the playground, and they would take a digger and fall flat, I would just yell safe. And they'd pick their head up and smile. Even if they couldn't see exactly where I was, they knew that I was watching them. Yeah. <laughs> so they'd get up and run off and keep playing <laughs> without even, like, worrying about it. So it's like they always knew that I was, like, paying attention. They always yeah. knew that I was there. Yeah. Even if I wasn't, like, right in their immediate vicinity and they're playing off and doing something else. Um, but uh, and I, th I see so many other kids, though, who are acting out. The kids who act out, the ones who, like, are over aggressive who are pushing boundaries who are trying to boss other kids around the ones who are just kind of being jerks and doing like antisocial behavior and stuff oftentimes yeah. i'll like look around to try to figure out which parent will you know goes with that kid and nine, nine times out of ten it's the mom sitting over on the bench with her head dug up her phone you know we're like talking uh in-depth conversations with uh, another mom and they're not, neither one of them are paying any attention at all to the kids yeah so they're getting That's your attention like, some other way they're trying to get their attention. They're still not getting their attention. And so then their that behavior just escalates and becomes worse and worse. It's just like, 
you know, it, it just keeps going and going. It's just like, I don't know. I, my kids, like, I get compliments nonstop for how well behaved they are and how, like, how generally good they are in so many ways. But, and that, obviously, that makes me feel good. But at the same time, like, like, it's just, for me, it's, it seems simple. It's just because I'm, I'm giving them the time of day. I'm treating them like people and wanting to spend time with them. Being friends. Making sure they feel, feel valued. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Instead of just as something that I have to take care of and keep from dying. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. You know, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit here. Sorry. No, man, this is, this is good. I'm enjoying this. You, can you believe we've been going for 50 minutes? 50? Five zero? 50, yeah. Yeah. Um, is there something, is there something that you want to end on? Well, guess, is, there, is there a message? Is there, is there something that you really wanted to, to get out? I guess the, the I guess the things that, it, that I really wanted to talk on were the issues of the, of depression for the most part. Um, uh, just the, all those things again, that, 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 that weigh on you, that make you feel like you're stuck, that, the isolation that you feel um, as a stay-at-home parent. It's, I just want, I mean, if anything, it's just that, that idea that if you're feeling those things, you're not alone. Mm. You know, it's, and cause it's that sense of, of community, that, that isolation that you feel, it's like everybody else is feeling that too. Mm. And everybody else is dealing with it in different ways. And some people have, you know, some people have support systems. Some people have, grandparents nearby or, or sitters or nannies or other things that they can, you know, use to help them out. Some, but some people don't, you know, some people are in the same place you are. And it's just, I think it's just important for people to know they're not alone and people know that it's okay and to, to get help in whatever help, whatever that means for them. Yeah. Um, for myself, uh, I, I, I pursued, um, my doctor recommended medication to help me get through it. Yeah. Um, and even even when she prescribed me the medication, she was she told me that it's it's not something she wants me on long term because she feels that my my situation is situational. It's because of the environment that I'm in right now. Right. And so when that environment changes, you know, when those kids go to school, and when if I'm able to go back and you know go to work and have try to have a career again or do something else. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe I, I won't be feeling the way that I'm feeling now, mm. um, that it's not forever, mm. you know, but I guess that's the main thing that I wanted to kind of express with you and talk with you about is that, that idea, yeah. that idea that, that it's totally normal, you know, the, it's, and it's not a, it's not a stay at home mom thing. It's not a stay at home dad thing. It's, it's the fact that there were people in my, in the situation is our, we're giving up of ourselves to look after these little monsters in our life and I don't know, um, make the most of it and try to make, help them be the best people they can be. I don't know. I'm losing track here, yeah. but no, you, you, you're right. I mean, it's a powerful message and it's really, you know, one of the premises of what we've tried to do with the podcast is, is have those conversations because no one really does know the answers and everyone yeah. kind of goes through this the same way in that you, you, you make a decision and you hope that it's right. And we don't really have a way to find out until they're, you know, for 12, 18 years, you know, like we're just, we're just sort of doing things on a, on a, on a, on a, a wish often. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we compare ourselves yeah. to what everybody else is doing and, and we try different things and, and the more that we're prepared to talk about things, the easier those things should be. Everybody, it's it's all, it's funny. It seems like everybody in their parenting style. The one consistent thing that I've found is everybody tries to fix what they perceived as mistakes about their own childhood <laughs> in their kids' childhoods. It's like you know, oh, I didn't like the fact that uh, this happened to me, or I didn't like this, that, and the other. So I'm going to make sure my kid never has to worry about X, Y, and Z. You know, and it's just. It, it's, it's very uh, knee-jerk. It's very reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. No. No two kids are the same. Every one of them has uh, is so different. Anybody who comes out and claims they know all the answers is just a big bag of wind. Yeah. You know. They. They. Yeah. They're just. They're 
talking to hear themselves talk, like yeah. verbal masturbation. Tell you what, sometimes it'd be easier just to believe that, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I know exactly what to do, and I'm just going to do it, and I'm not going to listen to anybody else. If God, if I if I had that confidence, <laughs> I mean, I'd be I'd have millions of dollars right now. Yeah, be set for life. It's just, but yeah, it's a it's definitely a, a interesting way to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mate, I've I've really enjoyed this. And, well, awesome. And thank this you. This was fun. I didn't Thanks realize for, how much time it been. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's been it's been we're we're hitting an hour. Um, thanks for being a bit of a guinea pig for me too. In in one, I haven't done a one on one interview before, so this is a good experience for me. But also in right. um, doing a phone interview and being able to play around with recording that sort of stuff, it's been um, been really valuable. Not oh, fantastic. Yeah, um, we should do it again. I would love to. Yeah, um, so we'll absolutely be staying in touch. We need to talk about Star Wars: Galaxy of Heroes. Perhaps, oh, hell uh, yeah. Perhaps uh, mobile gaming should be the um, the topic of the next discussion. That'd be great. And we're going to wrap up the conversation there. You're hearing Dora Jackson sinking right now. See you next time. Chase me back now.